Book One, Chapter Nine of the Heavenly Twins. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Devora Allen. The Heavenly Twins by Sarah G. Book One, Chapter Nine. This was the period when Evadne looked out of narrow eyes at an untried world inquiringly and was warmed to the heart by what she saw of it. Theoretically, people are cruel and unjust, but practically, to an attractive young lady of good social position and just out, their manners are most agreeable. And when Evadne returned to Freilingay after her first season in town, she thought less and sang more. A little bird in the air is singing of Thyri the Fair, the sister of Sven the Dane, and the song of the garrulous bird in the streets of the town is heard, and repeated again and again. She caroled about the house, while the dust collected on her books. She took up one old favorite after another when she first returned, but her attention wandered from her best beloved, and all that were solid came somehow to be set aside and replaced, the nourishing fact by inflated fiction, reason and logic by rhyme and rhythm, and sense by sentimentality. So far had her strong, simple, earnest mind deteriorated in the unwholesome atmosphere of London drawing-rooms. It was only a phase, of course, and she could have been set right at once had there been anybody there to prescribe a strengthening tonic. But failing that, she tried sweet stimulants that soothed and excited, but did not nourish. Tales that caused chords of pleasurable emotion to vibrate while they fanned the higher faculties into inaction— Vampire things inducing that fatal repose which enables them to drain the soul of its life-blood and compass its destruction. But Evadne escaped without permanent injury, for, fortunately for herself, among much that was far too sweet to be wholesome, she discovered Oliver Wendell Holmes's The Breakfast-Table Series, Elsie Venner, and The Guardian Angel, and was insensibly fixed in her rightful place and sustained by them. The sun streaming into her room one morning at this time awoke her early and tempted her up and out. There was a sandy space beyond the grounds, a long level of her father's land extending to the eastern cliffs and considered barren by him, but rich with a certain beauty of its own, the beauty of open spaces which rest and relieve the mind, and of immensity in the shining sea-line beyond the cliffs and the arching vault of the sky overhead dipping down to encircle the earth and of color for all moods, from the vividest green of grass and yellow of gorse to the amethyst ling and the browns with which the waning year tipped every bush and bramble, things which, when properly appreciated, make life worth living. It was in this direction that Evadne walked, taking it without design, but drawn insensibly as by a magnet to the sea. She had thought herself early up, but the whole wild world of the heath was before her, and she began to feel belated as she went. There was a suspicion of frost in the air which made it deliciously fresh and exhilarating. The early morning mists still hung about, but the sun was brightly busy dispelling them. The rabbits were tripping hither and thither, too intent on their own business to pay much heed to Evadne. A bird sprang up from her feet and soared out of sight, and she paused a moment with upturned face, dilated eyes and lips apart to watch him but a glimpse of the gorse recalled her, and she picked some yellow blooms with delicate fingertips, and carried them in her bare hand, savoring the scent, 
and at the same time looking and listening with an involuntary straining to enjoy the perception of each separate delicate delight at once, till presently the enthusiasm of nature called forth some further faculty, and she found herself sensible of every tint and tone, sight and sound, distinguishing, deciphering, but yet perceiving altogether as the trained ear of a musician does the parts played by every instrument in an orchestra, and takes cognizance of the whole effect as well. At the end of the waste there was a little church overlooking the sea. She saw that the door was open as she approached it, and she paused to look in. The early weekday service was in progress. A few quiet figures sat apart in the pews. The light was subdued. Something was being read aloud by a voice of caressing quality and musical. She did not attend to the words, but the tone satisfied. It seemed to her that the peace of God invited, and she slipped into the nearest pew. She found a Bible on the seat beside her, and opening it haphazard, her eyes fell upon the words, They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord, and his wonders in the deep. The lap of the little waves on the beach below was distinctly audible, the bird calls and their twitterings intermittent, incessant, persistent, came close and departed, and the fragrance of the blossoms, crushed in her hand, rose to remind her they were there. They that go down to the sea in ships. It was a passage to be felt at the moment with the sea itself so near, and as she paused to ponder it, her mind attuned itself involuntarily to the habit of holy thought associated with the place, while the scents and sounds of nature streamed in upon her, forming now a soft undercurrent, now a delicious accompaniment which filled the interval between what she knew of this world and all that she dreamt of the next. The cycle of sensation was complete, and in a moment her whole being blossomed into gladness. Her intellectual activity was suspended, her senses awoke. It was the morning of life with her, and she sank upon her knees, and lifted up her heart to express the joy of it in one ecstatic note. O oh, blessed Lord! Lord of the happy earth, Lord of the sun and our senses, he who comes to us first in love's name, and bids us rejoice and be glad, not he who would have us mourn. End of Book 1, Chapter 9